Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. And now we'll go straight to our main message. No matter what kind of defeat that you've ever experienced, no matter what has happened to you, lost ground must be recovered. We never live in the effects of our defeats. We never are arrested in rationalizing why we were defeated. We deal with what must be dealt with. Then we recover lost territory. Because God is a God who always wants us to go forth and recover lost territory. May I say, if there's been problems in your marriage, recover what has been lost in it now. If there's problems with your relationship with the body, recover what has been lost in your relationship now. Pay the price of dealing with your heart. Don't deal with somebody else's heart. Deal with your heart and pay the price of recovering what has been lost. Recovering lost territory is a tremendous privilege because God is always going to help any individual in recovering anything that he's lost in his life. Now, many of you have read Joel, the second chapter, and you remember the promise that God gave when he said, I'll restore to you the years that the canker worm has eaten. As one Hebrew scholar puts it, the only thing in all the world that can bless a person who's wasted their life is to know that verse. He said, wasted years turns into blessing it, a blessed experience. And God didn't say, I'll forgive you for the years that you've wasted. He said, I'll restore to you the years that you've wasted. Now, that is not a negative message. That is not a message of condemnation. Whatever part of our lives that need to be touched with this message, the Lord Jesus Christ will not only help us recover anything we've lost, He will not only forgive us for any sin that we've ever committed, but there's a principle in which He will restore the years that the canker worm has eaten he will restore yesterday. Now, how can God restore years that some people have wasted and bring them back now when they're gone forever? Well, only Jesus Christ can do that. This is how He does it. He takes us out of the three dimensions of time and puts us into the eternal is dimension of His Son. Now, you think with me. He brings us into... His Son, who in eternity past included us in eternity present. You've got to think beyond your ABCs to get much out of my message right now. He takes care of everything in the three dimensions of Adam, past, present, and future, and nails Adam's past, Adam's present, and Adam's future, and all that Adam has done, he nails it on the second Adam, Jesus Christ. 
The first Adam, through human depravity and sin, passed his nature down to the human race, and we personally chose to sin with that nature. The first Adam, when he sinned, took on the wages of sin in three dimensions of time. It was what I did yesterday. It's what I'm not doing today. It's what I'll probably do tomorrow because I'm totally humanly depraved. So the Lord Jesus became the second Adam. And with the second Adam, a perfect man who didn't sin, even as Adam was perfect before he sinned, this man was perfect in his humanity without any sin and took all the effects of time past, present, and future, and every single thing done in time, he took the blame for it. Secondly, he met the demands of the payment for everything done in time, including the sins of the world. And that is the reason why 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. That is the reason why any scholar knows that it's an unlimited atonement, that He not only died for the sins of the church, but in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, the sins of the whole world. That doesn't mean everybody's saved. They are not. You have to be born again to be saved or we go to hell. But it does mean that He made a provision so people could be saved by taking care of the three dimensions in Adam. If I reject what he did, then I die in my sins in John 8.21, without a cloak in John 15.22, and end up in a crisis eternity forever. So that's why God can restore the years that the canker worm has eaten. Because He places us in Christ. And in Christ, we become a part of an eternal person hid with Him in God with all the sins of time dealt with forever in the second Adam. Now we're in Christ who is glorified beyond sin, beyond death, beyond time, and eternal is of now. Seated together in heaven. In Ephesians 2.6, and new creations on earth with old things having passed away and all things have already become new from divine viewpoint. So now God is able to take the person that's wasted much of his life even as a Christian and not only forgive him and not only forget. Why does he forgive and forget? Because we're in Christ. And as we're placed in Christ, accepted in the Beloved in Ephesians 1.6, perfect in Christ, positionally in Philippians 3.15a, and complete in Christ in Colossians 2.10, who is the head of all principality and power, as we stand in Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ says, okay, now, the years that were wasted can be redeemed. Because I'm not dealing with you in terms of years. 
I'm dealing with you in terms of Christ. I'm not dealing with you in terms of sins. I'm dealing with you in the terms of the Son. For that reason, the years that have been wasted can be restored. Because how much more can you be restored forever than to be in Christ forever? So yesterday's gone forever. Now just passed by when I spoke. I can never have one second ago back. Tomorrow does not exist today. And tomorrow isn't here yet. But I'm in Christ, and every believer is in Christ, and therefore we are living in Christ, and Christ is living in us, and that equals eternity beyond time today. Time is used to transform us into His image by choice, by volition, by doctrine, through providence, through circumstances, in the plan. But time is only an instrument of eternity. And time only gives eternity an opportunity to make us like Him for His glory in the battle against the kingdom of darkness. How do we recover lost territory? We don't do it by crying over spilt milk. We don't do it by living in guilt. We don't do it by rationalizing sin. We don't do it by living in a false interpretation of grace. We do it by realizing as we're confessed up to date, as we've renounced all known sin at Calvary, we do it by thanking God we're in Christ and having repented from all known sin except forgiveness and being filled with the Spirit, we walk in the light of Christ. The years are restored. It's like you never failed four years ago or two years ago. It's out of God's record books. Just take advantage of grace in the eternal is today as you abide in the risen life within you. Number one, after the defeat at Ai, Joshua said, fear not. The first thing in Joshua 8, 1 was don't fear. We've been defeated, but don't fear. Perfect love casts out fear. You'll never win AI if you think of, of your defeat. You'll never have a victory in Christ if you dwell in your defeats. Don't dwell in defeat. The effects of your defeat, the judgment of defeat, renounce it. Go to God, but don't live in fear of failure, or you'll never enjoy the love of victory. Number two, all of Israel, every single person of Israel, united to go against Ai. Everybody got involved. Everybody gets involved in the worldwide vision. Everyone gets excited that we want to go into a hundred countries. Everyone gets excited about satellite radio all over America from this ministry's portion. Everyone gets excited about vocational school, about our city blitzes, about our 25 ministries in this county alone. People begin to rally and get united, not in discussing our defeats, but in being motivated into the next phase of victory in Christ. This is where victory 
is implemented and experienced. It's always going on in the next step with all the fervency and conviction of faith and love and obedience going on totally in Christ. This is how the enemy is shattered. The gates of hell are scattered. This is how we inhabit our promises and go on into the promised land in the miraculous provision of God's grace and God's mercy and God's presence. This is how the years of failure are taken totally out of the way. They are literally taken away. They don't exist. Why? Because not a single thing in Adam exists except what you allow exists through disobedience. Adam has been taken care of in the second Adam. And the believer abides in the throne ministry of Christ. And he rests in Him, abides in Him, and goes forward in Christ and reigns through grace and God's righteousness within Him unto eternal life. So a free gift. Romans 5.17 and Romans 5.21. A born-again believer who's gone beyond the elementary fundamentals of legalism and denominationalism and private interpretation of spirituality and finds himself in Christ out of Adam forever. Not only is his past gone, his future protected, a provision for the present, but Christ restores the years that the canker worm ate and took from him through the, the devil's robbery. And he indeed is a brand new creature and old things are totally passed away out of the view of heaven, out of the view of divinity, through the blood of the Lamb. So we recover lost territory by uniting in Christ and going on to experience the next victory. It's a very interesting thing. Joshua had a plan. He took 5,000 men between Bethel and Ai. And the people in Ai came after him as they withdrew. And Joshua withdrew and withdrew. And when he withdrew and the armies of Ai came after him, those that were waiting in ambush went in the city and burned it up with fire. And the inhabitants of Ai saw the city burning with fire and rushed in and they were all killed. And Joshua himself killed them with the edge of the sword and then a spear, including the king who was kept alive. What is this a picture of? We're fighting a tremendous enemy and we've got to have the strategy of God. We've got to have the wisdom of knowledge, the understanding of revelation as it comes through the Scriptures. We can't just get up and not have strategy. If you're being attacked of Satan, get some divine strategy. You get it through uniting with the body of Christ. Live in strategy. Strategy is simply the plan of God revealed through grace to His people who are in Christ. You don't confess negatives. I don't know how many people think it's noble to confess negatives. Try confessing negatives and see how defeated you are. Confess negatives and you live in the defeat and guilt and misery of your confession. Confess Christ. Faith and love. And even if you felt negative, it elevates you into the effects of victory. 
Because Christ is glorified through what you confess. Confess doubt and you live in the effects of doubt. Confess guilt and you live in the effects of guilt. Confess the, what the devil's doing and you live in the strategy and the emotions of what he makes you feel like through his darts. Confess Calvary. Christ promises victory. And before you know it, you sense that you're a victor all because you believed it and confessed it when you didn't feel it. So Israel... Furthermore, when you confess things, you not only cause problems for yourself, but for the people that listen. Secularism says confess it. Christ says confess me. Secularism says do this. Christ says believe this. Secularism says this is how you get in the light. Deal with Adam. Christ says I dealt with Adam. Get into the light and deal with me. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man confesseth with his mouth, that's what he's becoming, what he's confessing, because that's what he's believing is happening. But the man that says, I'm a conqueror, I'm a victor, is making a faith confession in Christ, not in his Adam. His faith is in Christ. Not maybe. His faith is stabilized in what God's Word says about Him. So now, they burn Ai with fire. In Isaiah 4.4, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of burning. Joshua 6.24, after they defeated Jericho, they had to burn the entire city by fire. Everything was burned except silver, gold, and brass, which was brought into the treasury house of God. What is it a picture of? I'm hopeless and helpless within my Adam nature, so Jesus Christ in love and mercy becomes a second Adam. I'm hopelessly lost in one sin after another, and Jesus Christ comes and pays for them all. I'm hopelessly lost in the root of a sin nature, and Jesus Christ comes and nails it to His own body and buries it. I'm hopelessly lost with no capacity to have life. And He comes in and live with His Word and His Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit burns my soulless nature, which has been natural and carnal, with the fire that comes from a finished work cross on Calvary. And that fire consumes the dross, consumes the sins, consumes the effects, and reveals a glorified Christ with a fervency and fever of divine power, and it begins to monopolize my very soul in divine nature through the promises of God. In Second Peter 1.4, and the believer becomes a partaker of the Holy Spirit's fire. And the Holy Spirit gives the heat, the energy, the love, the definition of the Word of God as it comes in with power. And the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to recover all lost ground and to have the years that the canker worm has eaten restored to our new life in eternity. Starting now. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. 
So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com Entitled this program, Shaking Off the Dust. And yet that clip there is really about restoration, about about um, how to deal with our past um, through eternal viewpoint. But I think we really see, though that is the big picture of our past, maybe over years and things that have shaped our past that cause our present circumstances now or have become part of our identity previously and they affect us now presently. But we really see that it's the same principle that that restoration happens now in my life, in the present. I shake off the dust now. How do I, how do I deal with situations? And that phrase, shake off the dust, it's used in Matthew 10.14, Mark 6.11, Luke 9.5. It's talking about being a testimony for Jesus Christ, for disciples going into cities and the news about Christ and what he was doing and what he was to do for them on their behalf. And those that wouldn't receive it, they were to do this. They were to shake off the dust. That phrase has come to mean more maybe to us now. Um, it's a way of moving forward, really. Um, when we're, we're not received, when situations don't go the way we think they would like, we would like them to, when um, we're operating in ministry or we're just operating in day-to-day life, which really is operating in ministry, because there's no separation between the secular and the sacred for the believer that has a relationship with Christ and isn't operating in religion, but is operating in that relationship. I like the life of Samson. Really, it's very puzzling, the life of Samson. He was he was a judge raised up during a very confused time in Israel's history. He was not, a, by any stretch of morality, and a good man really had seemed to have many flaws, almost like a teenager that never outgrew his rebellious teenage years. Though he grew to be a man, and a man endowed with incredible supernatural strength, and that Nazarite vow that he was under. In Judges sixteen seventeen, he was with a harlot. He, he had really broken most of what the Nazarite vow would be to be pure, to abstain from wine and drink. Really, the only thing left was his hair. He was playing around with this woman and with the situation and dabbling in sin, and yet finally that, that sin really did grab a hold of him, and he revealed his whole heart. And in revealing this aspect about his hair, all those other things had been f- fiction before, But now this aspect about his hair really struck home. It really was part of his identity in Christ, his identity with the God of Israel. That revealing, that surrender of his identity, it did accomplish, unfortunately, the end that his enemy had hoped, which would be to ensnare him and to reveal a weakness. And his strength was taken from him. But in Judges 16, 28 and 30, we can read through Judges, previous chapters in Judges 16, to get the whole story. But Samson is blinded. He's put between two pillars. And you'll notice here, he doesn't repent of his sin. He doesn't suddenly become a moral man. But what he does is he shakes off the dust. 
And how does he do that? He goes back to the Lord. And Samson called unto the Lord, it says in verse 28, and said, O Lord God, remember me. I pray thee, strengthen me. And the reasons, the reasons to be avenged of the Philistines and all of those things, they're they're not the substance of the matter, though that was accomplished. But this turning back to the Lord, really, and believing that his strength was found in God and not in himself, having been proven that his own vices and weakness would rob him of his strength, but that his strength lied in God and that he would, even blinded, even at the cost of his own life, put his hands on those pillars, believing, and God did answer those prayers and he did accomplish more in his death than he had in his, in his life because of that moment of faith, because of that shaking off of the dust. Romans 3.23 and following, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And this is the key, just as that message spoke of about restoration. Our identity in Jesus Christ is our restoration. Our identity in Jesus Christ is also how we shake off the dust of the day. Really, when God illuminates the scriptures and we get a fresh, fresh illumination of the grace of God. (laughs) Really, that's what Samson was calling on. He was just plain calling on the grace of God. He had lived a sinful life, he, but he believed in the God of Israel. He believed in the grace of God, and that's what we do. It's not our moral power. It's not our talent. It's not our skills. It's not even the gifts that God has given us that really are the hallmark of our relationship with him or how far uh, we will go, how God will use us in this life. But it's the understanding of the grace and mercy of God and our place in relationship to those aspects of his character and nature, his righteousness, his holiness, his all of the fruits of the Spirit all come through that channel of the grace of God. And that's how the character and nature of God is manifested to us. It could only be manifested by grace and mercy because we couldn't come to him on the basis of what we've done or our performance or our talent. All of those things even our talent and skills, they're all given by God. They're all gifts of God. We're unprofitable servants. We've done nothing. But God has done everything. And we will see the effectiveness of our lives will be hinged upon whether or not we will appropriate the grace of God for situations. If we choose to do that, if we learn, if our heart becomes established in grace, we learn to appropriate God's unmerited favor based upon his character and nature in the situations of life, then we will be victorious in our Christian walk and we will see him do great and mighty things through us and around us and the people that we come in contact with. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www. So, would you like a fresh start today? There are all these self-help books out there on the market talking about putting the past behind you and 
prioritizing, operating in this objective manner about thinking about things, emotional intelligence, all of this aspects of trying to get rid of what in thoroughness really our past, our sin, our guilt, all taken care of by Jesus. And though men can become very talented in putting the past behind them naturally, really it doesn't have any power to cleanse their conscience or give them a fresh start, make them a new person, make them righteous and holy before God and able to enter a relationship with Him. It's not about our moral power. It's not about our skillfulness and our psychology. It's about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, through the death, burial, and resurrection of God's own Son. We can become ones who shake off the dust and go forward in freshness, in restoration, in rebound, as new people, right after the worst crisis, we can wash our faces, get up, and go on with renewed strength and power. If you've never asked Christ to be your Savior, pray a prayer, something like this with me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I've tried so many different things, but I now realize that you are the answer. No, I don't understand very much, don't understand a lot of things. I know that you were raised from the dead, you were crucified, the innocent one became guilty, that we would have restoration, and you were able to shake off the grave, resurrected in power and ascended, seated now at the right hand of the Father, and so you conquered death, you conquered sin. You were able to shake it off. And I pray you would come into my life. Make me new. God, teach me. I pray. Be with me. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen.